0: This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend, Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this Ninja Pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up, here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message.
1: Welcome, listeners, just joining us across the country with uh, using the miracle of the internet. You just missed a great meal and laughter that we usually share from 5 to 5.30 here in Newark, Delaware. We thank the fields for their wonderful hospitality today. Come on and join us if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and D.C. area. We have people that have come from all of those areas. And uh, we're blazing a trail of both old and new styles of study and worship here in Adonai Elohim and His son, Yeshua Hamashiach. I will say this, we are decidedly politically incorrect, and we cut it straight, we go straight to the point. We are unmistakably pro-Israel, and we make no apology for being pro-Israel and pro-America. I am the Black Robe Regiment. You'll notice that to the extent possible we use the appropriate and accurate Hebrew words for the characters and the places in Scripture, and I'm not pretending to be Jewish, although I would be proud to be Jewish. Remember, the pens of the Bible are being held by predominantly Hebrew people teaching us through their shared struggle and their experiences of faith. The Hebrew people are the origin of our faith. We are not their origin, they are ours. We are not their origin or even the perfecter of their faith. They are our origin, and Yeshua is the perfecter of our faith. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. However, when translated from Hebrew in the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus. The English spelling for Iesus is Jesus. It's like the game of telephone played over about 2,000 years, and I chose to cut out the middleman and the thousands of years and just call him by his original and actual name, Yeshua. Please, while you have the chance, uh, follow me on, on uh, Twitter at the Ninja Pastor and subscribe here at blog talk radio backslash the Ninja Pastor. And if you use uh, Facebook, go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio and click on the little sign up thing there, and that'll get you all set up. And you, there's a bunch of free messages and talks on the Ninja And remember, the tra- chat room is open. Uh, Today, I probably won't be able to respond to your questions on chat, but uh, if I can answer them, if I can read them uh, during the message, I'll answer them as best I can. And I'm excited to have a a special guest listening with us today, Andrea Shea King. Uh, She is on her balcony, soaking in the sun down there in Florida. We're so glad to have you. We wish we were on your balcony with you, and there's probably not enough room, but Happy Resurrection Sunday, everybody. Is there anybody in the house or listening to the sound of my voice that's wearing a cross today? Any sort of cross jewelry? you have any sort of cross on? If you have a cross on at home, any jewelry involving a cross, if you can, please remove it and place it in your dominant hand, whichever hand uh, is your strongest hand. And just hold that on tightly. Uh, you don't necessarily have to hold it out in front of you. You can just hold on to it. Just hold it tightly in your hand until I tell you to. Don't let it go until I tell you to. The title of my message today on this Resurrection Sunday is Yeshua Who Tortured for Love. Excruciated, is a Latin word. It means out of or from the cross. The description of excruciating would be awful, terrible, the worst thing a human being could ever experience. And just to be clear, we're talking about the cross of Yeshua Hamashiach, the cross that without which we are hopeless and we are lost. I'm going to talk plainly about the cross and the hours leading up to the cross. And in 1996, a fellow by the name of David Tarasaka wrote uh, what I think is the plainest, clearest, most medically explicit and medically accurate description of the torture and murder of Yeshua Hamashiach. I will say this: this message is not for the faint of heart or the weak of stomach. What preceded the cross was make no mistake about it. a brutal torture and flogging the truly innocent one, the only perfect, sinless man. What we must know at the outset beyond any doubt that Yeshua was a healthy man in his thirty three years here on earth, especially the last three years of Yeshua's life because they were spent walking. Eating healthfully healthy foods, kind of like what we eat at night, all good stuff. And walking and climbing and walking and walking and walking everywhere he went. Yeshua was a carpenter for most of his life, and for the last three years of his life, life he didn't take the DART bus, he didn't take SEPTA, he didn't take the metro. He walked everywhere and climbed everywhere he went. You see, all that rigorous living brings about and maintains incredible physical condition. At the start of all this, Yeshua in earthly terms was very healthy. We are told that Yeshua was likely 165 to 185 pounds and a vibrant, healthy, and strong man. Here's the thing. The night before the crucifixion, the Lord had little to nothing to eat. And he had not a moment of sleep. He was exhausted. He was starving. He was dehydrated. And he was only out from a gruesome death following six illegal trials. And beating after brutal beating. I think here's the worst part. Yeshua was abandoned by all of his friends and by his father were among the the few that were with yeshua in his final hours he was only hours from providing the opportunity of salvation for all of humanity matthew 26:17 through 29 details the last supper and it was called the first communion in the upper room when he left the upper room he went to the garden of gethsemane which in its original language means oil press luke 22 39 through 40, gives account of this well. On leaving, Yeshua went as usual to the Mount of Olives. By the way, you can learn much more about this man and the mountain and my free series, uh, Jesus Who, the man on the mountain. that's available at theninjapastor.com. The verse goes on to say, And the Talmudim followed him. Those were his disciples. When he arrived, he said to them, Pray that you won't be put to the test. He went about a stone's throw away from them, kneeled down and prayed, "Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Still, let not my will, but yours, be done." There appeared to him an angel from heaven, giving him strength. And in great anguish, he prayed more intensely, so that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. On rising from prayer and coming to the Talmudim, he found them sleeping, sleeping because of their grief. In Scripture and Hebrew culture, the oil is used to represent the Holy Spirit. I find it no small irony that Yeshua went there to pray, to seek contact and confirmation with his Father. Under the greatest of pressure, you might say even, the weight of the whole world on his shoulders. Yeshua went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was pressed down under unimaginable and never before humanly born weight of such a decision. You ask, what decision was that? The decision to bear indescribable abandonment, disrespect, torture, and gruesome murder just so the entire world would have the opportunity for salvation the decision whether he should die so that we might live. He prayed so hard, he anguished so hard that he sweat drops of blood. There are many, even in Western evangelical circles, who say this is just a legend, that this is just a story, an embellishment of the biblical lore, this whole Yeshua sweating blood. I'm here to tell you that they're unformed. They don't know that hematidrosis is an actual yet very rare medical phenomena in which drops of blood come out of the skin like sweat. The only way this happens is through anguish unknown to most in the modern age, but well known in these moments to Yeshua, the innocent one. Anguish was very familiar to Yeshua in his last hour on earth. Matthew 26:56 details the abandonment of Yeshua. But all this has happened so that what the prophets spoke would be fulfilled, then the Talmudim all deserted him and ran away. It's interesting to me that Yeshua spent nearly every moment walking, preaching, healing, eating, teaching and laughing with these people. Everything he did, he did with these people. For 3 years and no one was by his side in his most vulnerable and lonely time it is the epitome of anguish that yeshua was experiencing and he was experiencing all of this all alone the prophetic psalm 22:11 foretells do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help he was betrayed by judas And arrested by the temple high priest, his closest friends for three years, now nowhere to be found, Yeshua was alone. John 18.12 speaks of Yeshua being taken into custody and bound. So the detachment of Roman soldiers and their captain together with the temple guard of the Judeans arrested Yeshua, tied him up. I'll go ahead and read the rest of it just so you can have context and took him first to Anan, the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was Kohen Gadal that fateful year. He was in charge. He was he was the big Mahath. It was Kayepha who advised the Judeans that it would be good for one man to die on behalf of the people. Shimon, Kepha, and another Talmud followed Yeshua. The second Talmud was known to the Kohen Gadol, and he went to the went with Yeshua to the courtyard of Cohen HaGadol. Ironically, this was very near to the upper room, where the the first communion, known to us as the Last Supper, had just been observed the very first time. Near the very same place where Yeshua would be with his friends, human and whole, the beginning of his condemnation. I mentioned in previous messages in my Yeshua who series that all the six trials of Yeshua were all illegal. Every one was illegal. There were many rules, very strict rules which governed such things in the Hebrew community. And again, you can download that whole series. It's free. It doesn't cost you a penny at www.theninjapastor.com. Number one, trials could only occur at regular meeting places of the Sanhedrin not where the Sanhedrin lived. Trials could not occur on the Sabbath or on high holy days or on feast days or at night. This was at night. This was during the nighttime that Yeshua was apprehended and tried at night. Number three, a guilty verdict could not be rendered the day following the trial. No one, this is number four, could be put to death without witnesses and all those witnesses must agree. Well, there weren't any witnesses. And even the no witnesses didn't even agree. Under This is number five. Under law, the anhedron did not pronounce the death penalty. They didn't have the authority, yet they did it anyway. 19, 32 they led Yeshua from Caiapha to the governor's headquarters. By now it was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters building because they did not want to become ritually defiled and thus unable to eat the pasach meal, which is, of course, Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What charge are you bringing against this man? They answered, If he hadn't done something wrong, we wouldn't have brought, them, brought him to you. Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your own law. The Judeans replied, we don't have the legal power to put anyone to death. This was so that what Yeshua had said about how he was going to die might be fulfilled. Mark 15:1 through 16 shed some light. As soon as it was morning, the head koinim held a council meeting with the elders and the Torah teachers and the whole Sanhedrin. Then they put Yeshua in chains, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate put this question to him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, The words are yours. The head Kohanim, too, made accusations against him, and Pilate again inquired of him, Aren't you going to answer? Look how many charges they are making against you. But Yeshua made no further response to Pilate's amazement. Now, during a festival, Pilate used to set free one prisoner, whomever the crowd requested. There was in prison among the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection, a man called called Barabah. When the crowd came up and began asking Pilate to do for them what he usually did, he asked them, Do you want me to set free for you the king of the Jews? For it was evident to him that it was out of jealousy that the head Kohanim had handed him over. But the head Koanim stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate again said to them, Then what should I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Put him to death on the stake. He asked why, what crime has he committed? But they only shouted louder, Put him to death on the stake. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the mob, set Barabbas for free for them. For, but he had Yeshua whipped and then handed him over to be executed on the stake. The soldiers led him away inside a pass that is the headquarters building, and called together the whole battalion. This flogging, if left totally up to the Romans, would have resulted in Yeshua's death right then and right there. You see, the Romans regularly beat people to death. But there was a rule, 39, one from death. It was thought 40 lashes would kill a person. But at 39, (coughs) you were one from death. They tied Yeshua to a large boulder, which had an iron ring in it, to which they tied him, and then they began whipping him with a flagramm. Yeshua was bent and hunched over in such a way that his back was totally exposed, but he was unable to stand all the way up, yet unable to kneel all the way down. No rest. He had no respite. He had no break. The flagram was a brutal tool of torture. It was a leather whip with pieces of stone and pottery and metal and sometimes even animal teeth woven into the end of it. The first few strikes lashed Yeshua's back, tearing his flesh from his back by tearing and ripping and clawing his skin away from the bone. The next few strikes dug deep into the muscle, pulling the skin from the bone. The next several strikes actually dug through the ripped flesh of Yeshua's back and literally tore pieces of his bone from his body. A beating like this brings about massive blood loss, unimaginable trauma. At this point, the human body of Christ weakens from extreme blood loss and shock. Most people would die at this point, but not Yeshua. Why didn't He die? Because He had the cross to bear. Because He hadn't yet finished the Father's mission. He had far to go still. Yeshua was going all the way to Golgotha because he had a heavy cross to bear. He was obedient to the Father. Do you still have your cross tightly in your hand if you were wearing one? Hold it tightly. Don't let it go. Matthew 27, 28-30. They stripped off his clothes and put him. "...put on him a scarlet robe, wove thorn branches into a crown, and put it on his head, and the stick in his right hand. Then they kneeled down in front of him and made fun of him, Hail, King of the Jews!" They spit on him, and they used the stick to beat him about the head. This crown of thorns is often thought to be a hoop around the of Yeshua, but contextual historical evidence tells us this crown was likely a cap from the top of Yeshua's ears all the way to the top of his head. These thorns were not like what you experience on your idyllic walks through the wood. These thorns were, as we know now, two to four inches long and more like nails than thorns. In fact, these thorns would actually be hammered into wood like nails. The fact is these thorns were shoved onto and hammered onto the head of the innocent one, shoved all the way through his scalp and into his skull. Head wounds bleed profusely because of the vascularity of the, the head. Yeshua had already been bleeding from the beatings he took over and over through the night and already today. From the brutal flogging he took from 39 gruesome lashings He had been bleeding for hours and hours at this point. The blood loss was incredible. Many would have died from this beating, just from this beating alone. But Yeshua didn't die because he had to bear the cross for you and for me. Do you still have your cross in your hand? Don't let that cross go. Hold on tight. Isaiah 58 and 52:13 through 14, prophecy foretold and prophecy fulfilled. This tells of Yeshua being beaten beyond recognition, that no one would recognize him, that upon looking at his wretched state, one would be appalled at his presence. My vindicator is close to me. Let whoever dares to accuse me appear with me in court. Let whoever has a case against me step forward. Then Isaiah... 2:13:15 See how my servant will succeed he will be raised up exalted highly honored just as many were appalled at him because he was so disfigured that he simply didn't even seem human and simply no longer looked like a man and so now he will startle many nations because of him kings will be speechless for they will see what they had not been told They will ponder things they had never heard. I ask you, could this be the reason why Yeshua wasn't immediately recognized after the resurrection? Nobody expects to see a man they know was put to death, for sure. But prophecy given. Prophecy foretold. Then the guards forced the Savior to wear the purple robe they had mockingly had him wear. This robe was placed upon the raw, bleeding, flesh-ragged back of our Lord, which soaked up the blood and the bits of flesh. It began sticking to his flesh as the blood dried, sticking and tearing the already abused flesh. The Via Dolorosa, you, you may have heard this beautiful song, and it's a sacred song, it's my favorite song of the resurrection season. The Via Dolorosa it means the way of suffering. Yeshua walked a 650-yard rocky and winding path, carrying the patibulum or crossbar of the cross. We know now that it weighed between 80 and 110 pounds. It was grinding and it was digging on his raw back. Flesh hanging off the bones of the Savior. The rough-hewn wood was grinding against the innocent one. He had no sleep, he had no food, he had no drink, and he had been beaten for hours. Many would have died during this phase. Yet he didn't die. Why? Because he had a sin burden to bear. His? No. No, he was the innocent one. He was sinless and he was blameless. He was spotless. His burden he chose to carry that day was all ours. For all of mankind's burdens, all of mankind's hurts, habits, hang-ups, at that point in time in history were draped upon this innocent man's shoulders. Daddy didn't quit. Yeshua didn't quit. He didn't lay his burden down. You still have your cross in your hand. Don't let it drop. Don't release it. Don't give it up. Let's talk about the nails in his feet and hands. When the crucifixion begins, they let him down after ripping the blood-soaked robe off of his body, taking with it large chunks of his flesh. That reinvigorated his already massive blood loss. It increased his already searing pain. You see, it is tantamount to having a massive surgery and waiting for the bandages with the soaked-up blood of the innocent one, waiting for them to soak up all that blood, and then right as it was getting ready to dry, ripped it from his skin. Imagine them being ripped ruthlessly from your own flesh. This is what they did to Yeshua. When they laid him down on the ground to nail his feet and hands, they really pushed him down. Not gently, but rudely, disrespectfully, violently. Remember what I said, the weight of the crossbar a was 80 to 110 pounds, it slammed to the dirt, taking with it the Lamb of God. Slamming to an abrupt stop the body of our Lord, injury already sustained, made in an instant significantly worse. They nailed his feet and hands. These nails were really spikes. They were six to seven inches long. Many of us have been told that they nailed his feet and hands, but that simply isn't quite accurate. In reality, they hammered these huge iron spikes through his wrist, each one requiring three to four hard strikes from the ruthless Roman soldiers. Bang! Splitting between the bones of the wrist, the spike separates and severs critical veins and arteries, tearing the sinew of the master's wrists. The bones of our hands could never sustain the weight of a person's body. I want you to press against the spot on your wrist right now. Just press hard. right, Right below your hand, the heel of your hand, right in your wrist. I want you to press as hard as you can stand. And even with just your thumb, that's not at all comfortable, imagine a spike being driven to that very same spot. Then they took his feet one across the other, in step over in step. It generally took between three to four strikes to drive the seven-inch spike through both feet into the wood. Then they lifted him up, affixing the patibulum to the stipe, which is the downward piece of wood, then lifting the hole in the most awkward of positions. His question must have been, which do I press on, my wrists or my feet? His full weight pressing down upon the ligaments and bones of his feet, pulling mercilessly at his wrist, his back raw, bleeding, profusely grinding against the rough wood of the cross. You see, you can't breathe hanging from the cross. You can't breathe unless you push your full weight onto the nails in your feet and pull with your hands. Which do you allow to bear the full weight? Your feet? Your hands? In order to just breathe, the innocent one had to force upon himself even greater pain just to draw a bath, breath, just exhale. As the arms fatigue, great waves of pain surged throughout. The lack of oxygen in this torturous position then caused waves of severe cramps. They overcame Yeshua's body. The muscles get tied into intense knots, which results in unrelenting pain to the one who deserved kingdoms and not sorrow and pain. The intercostal and pectoral muscles were unable to function. The Savior could breathe little tiny sips of air, but he could not exhale. And because of this, carbon dioxide begins to build up in the lungs. In unforgiving spasms of egregious pain, Yeshua pushes himself up against this cross, tearing at his back. If you think about it, maybe this is what he had to do just in order to speak. The seven sayings of Yeshua from the cross, he had to force upon himself excruciating pain just to say them. The first of which, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeshua from the cross, the cross that these very men put upon him, first upon himself, horrific pain, just in order to speak these words to his father forgiving his murderers his torturers as they were torturing and murdering him he did this for them while yet they were murdering and torturing the most innocent men to ever walk the earth Yet we can't forgive our family or our friends or our co-workers or our neighbors. It costs us nothing to forgive. Yet it costs Yeshua everything to forgive those who are actually committing the murder of the Savior. Yet we don't forgive. The second to the penitent thief said this, Father, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Yeshua, pushing against the nails in his feet and wrists, Grinding flesh from his torn flesh on the back on his back, he said this, Today you will be with me in paradise. The other belligerent thief, all he did was hurl profanity and insults at Christ. Yet the other, and make no mistake about it, he was also a deserving prisoner. He was being put to death right next to Christ, and in all of his all of his insults, all taunts against him, Yeshua never energy to condemn him. He spent his energy. He forced upon himself terrible pain to forgive the sins of the penitent thief and to assure him salvation. Yet he wasted no energy condemning this other thief. The third saying of Yeshua from the cross and likely one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture The words he said to Mary, the mother of Yeshua, the most amazing job of bearing and raising the Son of Man. Anyone could ever be given. What a job. God gave this, really what we know now, 13 to 14 year old girl when she was tasked with this. Yeshua said on her behalf and to her, John, given a great duty and responsibility in what we now likely in his adolescence, what he said was, Behold thy mother, woman, behold my son. The actual word that he uttered was, you know, in the English language we hear woman and we think, woman? But it's not that at all. It was the greatest of respect, held in the highest esteem, from the cross, in order to ensure the care for his mother, And to instruct John, Yeshua chose. He chose to inflict upon Himself horrible pain and searing agony. The fourth saying of Yeshua from the cross, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever felt your family and friends had forgotten you? Some of you listening, have felt that. Some of you are feeling abandoned and forsaken right now. The hours of limitless searing pain, twisting spasms through the innocent one's body, asphyxiation and recurring injury. Every time he seeks to breathe, he must press his body against the rough-hewn wood, tearing and ripping and grinding the precious flesh of the Son of Man into the wood that I find it not the least bit ironic his own father created in the day. The pain in Yeshua's chest cavity begins to grow as his heart is crushed and his pericardium, the sac around the heart, slowly starts to fill with serum and compresses the per- serum, is like a waxy byproduct. It compresses the perfect, sinless heart of the Savior to the extent that his circulation will begin signaling. The near end. Yeshua's heart is struggling to pump his ever thickening blood to his extremities and to his organs. They are leaving his body at an unsustainable rate now. Psalm twenty-two, fourteen foretold this phenomenon. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has become like wax; it melts inside me. His tortured lungs—they're making take efforts now just to take in tiny sips of air the dehydration of his holy body robs his muscles and the ability to expand his chest in order to breathe no matter how shallow it won't be long now it won't be long for the innocent one now Yeshua says now barely a whisper I thirst my mouth is as dry as a fragment of a pot my tongue sticks to my palate lay me down in the dust of death. A sponge soaked in Posca, which is a cheap Roman wine the soldiers would keep with them, was put on a stick and it was held up to this gossipless, lieless, sinless mouth. And from what we know Scripture, he doesn't drink of it. An extremis is a medical term. that means the condition being very near imminent death. At this point, the Son of Man was, in fact, an extremis. Make no mistake about it. Yeshua felt the chilling winds of death clutching his body because of that very fact he utters his next words from the cross, shrinking sips of air, which were only brought about by his forcing upon himself ever greater pain. He presses against the nails with his feet. He pulls against the nails with his wrists. He grinds back up against that cross, pushing himself up enough to say, it is finished. In the Hebrew words were actually, it is accomplished. You'll notice Yeshua did not say, my life is finished. It's over. Not, I can't take anymore. Not, I quit this worthless mission. Yeshua did not say, these people I'm being murdered and tortured for are not worth one more minute of my pain, not worth one more minute of my suffering. He didn't say any of those things. Those of you who are wearing crosses, those of you now holding crosses in your hands, you can lay them down. You can lay them down now. You can finally lay down that nearly weightless cross. You can lay it down now because Yeshua bore all the weight of the real cross. Yeshua bore all the weight of the sins of the world all on his own sinless shoulders. And the mission of atonement is now complete. Why Yeshua came here in the first place, lived 33 sinless years, one last surge of strength pressing his torn feet against the nails, dragging at his raw back against the timbers, pulling his wrist down upon the nails, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. His heart could no longer pump. His heart was broken. It was broken for me, and it was broken for you. His lungs could no longer take in air. Cradle fracture is what the Romans did uh, to, to hasten death. What they would do is they would use a pole and they would reach up and they would break the legs of those on the cross so that they could no longer push themselves up. Just within moments, you succumb. This was done to speed up the dying process. They broke the legs of the penitent thief they broke the legs of the arrogant thief. But when they came to Yeshua, they didn't have to break his legs because he was already dead. The next step was to ensure that Yeshua was actually dead. That was to pierce the prisoner's side in between the fifth airspace, space, between the ribs and the intercostal, into the pericardium. John nineteen thirty one through 37. It was preparation day, and the Judeans did not want the bodies to remain on the stake on Shabbat, since it was an especially important Shabbat, so they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies removed. The jealous ones wanted to be sure, let's make sure he's actually dead. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man, who had been put on the stake beside Yeshua, then the legs of the other one, but when they got to Yeshua and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. However, one of the soldiers stabbed his side with a spear and at once blood and water flowed out. The man who saw it has testified about it and his testimony is true. He tells the truth. He knows that he tells the truth so you too can trust. For these things happened in order to fulfill this passage of the Tanakh. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again in another passage, which says, They will look at him whom they have pierced. It's pretty conclusive post-mortem evidence that Yeshua did in fact die of a broken heart. Usually people died of suffocation, but Yeshua didn't. He died of a broken heart. We've seen a glimpse now into the evil darkness man can commit against man, and the evil man can commit against God. And right now, after all this, you might be feeling despondent. You might be feeling hopeless. You might feel heartbroken yourself. Don't be. Value the reality of the story I just explicitly retold to you. Indeed, never wear a cross around your neck again, forgetting what that cross really represents and what it costs the Savior. If you put a cross on, know what it cost the one in whom it represents. The shadow of the blood-spattered cross of Christ gives us a glimpse into the infinite mercy of God unto man when we do not yet deserve mercy or grace. There's a sequel to this story. The resurrection story is amplified for those who witnessed it live. Even when the Roman centurion who was in charge of the four Roman soldiers said he recognized who Yeshua was, he said, surely this man is the Son of God, You see, even if this was all about just providing the foundation of salvation, provision of our redemption, that would be enough. But this wasn't just about providing a means by which we could live with Him in heaven forever. He did it also so that we could live a beautiful life here on earth. I don't mean a trouble-free life. I mean a beautifully lived life. Yeshua wasn't tricked into the cross. He was pulled into the cross. No. He went willingly, bravely, and determined. You understand Christians were never promised happiness. We were, n- we were never promised happiness. Man, if you raise your hand, you pray this prayer, you're going to be happy the rest of your life. No. We were promised joy. There are many here and within the sound of my voice on the internet that are dealing with daily, moment by moment, wait that many would have crumbled under by now. Your life may be riddled with loss, with sorrow, with grief, with pain, betrayal, and such struggle. And for you, it's so difficult to imagine the worldly notion of happiness when you are so heavily burdened. You see, I know this firsthand. I don't mean to minimize the challenges that many of you physically, emotionally, spiritually, maritally face, all these hurts, habits, and hang-ups, all these pains, all these sorrow, all this grief, all of these burdens, they're real. Let me ask you this. Did Christ give his life on the cross for you to surrender to the world rather than surrender all to Christ? Did Christ surrender his life after gruesome beatings and be spit on to have his flesh torn from his body just so you could live life in the darkness of this world while in this world? Did Christ give all he was and is for you to live hopelessly, aimlessly, sadly, without victory while you're here on this planet? I'll answer for myself. You can answer for yourself. The answer for me is no. If you still believe that you're doomed to live that kind of life in the shadow of the empty cross, then you miss the major point of this whole story. You that know me well, both here and, and on the Internet, many of you know me very well, Know that I've made many mistakes in my life, horrendous mistakes. But I'm here to tell you, after many things, many things have tried to take my life from me, I finally got it. And the it that I got was that God gave me a tendency toward the positive, toward joy despite the circumstances in my life. On April 12, 2012, just six days from now, it'll be three years, since I was struck head-on, 92 miles per hour versus 51 miles per hour. I went from 51 miles per hour to zero in just seven feet. While I was trapped in the vehicle, after having bent the steering wheel with my shattered bloody mouth, struggling to breathe, I remember the joy of thankfulness, the joy of life, no matter how short, no matter how challenging, my six-foot-three body, Trapped in just eight inches of space, feeling the heat of the flames of the vehicle that struck me just seven feet away from my door, I was waiting to either die or be cut from the vehicle. I remembered the words of Heschel: "Something sacred hangs in the balance of every moment." I remembered the sacrifice of Christ on my behalf. Amen. As I am now, I am still undeserving of His grace and mercy. How then should I live? How should I live? What is the legacy of my life? Trusting God? Obeying God? Do I live demonstrating great faith in the holy, innocent one treating Him? my once for all Redeemer? Or do I live in fear, fear of life, fear of death, fear of failure, fear of success? Do I pray with fear and doubt? Do I read Scripture with suspicion? Do I live in defeat, defeated by my hurts, by my habits, in my hang-ups? Yeshua, on the cross that day, he was tortured, He was murdered in a most gruesome manner, the innocent one, the innocent holy one, dead on a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, there for only a short time, just a matter of days. Then an accomplishment of redemption, he vacated the bonds of mortality and surly bonds of this earth to be transfigured, to be perfected, ascending to his Father, our God. He arose, he died, and he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, indeed he did. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. However, it isn't all he died and rose for, no. He died to give us life more abundant and free. But I ask you, do you live abundantly? Do you live with joy? Do you live as though every moment is sacred? My friends, there is more, much, much more to living, truly living in Christ than just accepting him as Savior. Do you live like it? Do you live like you've been saved? Our moments are numbered. Our days are numbered. Our seconds are numbered. One day our dash will close, and what will our dash, which is the time between our birth date and the date of our death, what will that dash say about our true faith in Christ and his sacrifice for us? Only you can make your dash a dash of victory. God did all of his work already. The remaining prophecy yet to be fulfilled is the return of Yeshua HaMashiach. And that will come in a split second, which we don't, any of us know. Are you ready? Isn't it time you laid your cross down? Isn't it time you surrendered your all?
0: Chumbacasino.com. No purchase by law. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax.